Well, hello and welcome back. It's Grandpa's Tales of Terror. Hope you're not wearing good clothes because it's going to get very gory. Today's tale is entitled Deviled Eggs, Chapter 3. Now close your eyes and let your imagination carry you into a world of fear and horror. Exactly one year later, on the same date as the best get-together yet, one of the couples at the party, Frank and Jan, who lived across the street from Meredith and Roger, met death under horrific circumstances. Witnesses told police that Frank was trimming the bushes in the front yard with a hedge trimmer. Jan arrived home and parked in the driveway. Frank started walking towards her. Jan opened up the door and asked Frank to help her carry in some bags. She leaned in the car, grabbed a bag, and held it out for Frank. As she held the bag out, Frank lifted up the hedge trimmer and cut off her fingers. Blood started spreading everywhere. The bag fell to the ground. Frank kept trying to attack Jan. She was trapped between the open car door. He kept thrusting the hedge trimmer at Jan. She ended up with cuts everywhere until finally, the trimmer caught her in the neck and sliced it open. The trimmer finally stopped because of all the flesh and blood jammed in his teeth. Frank let go of the trimmer and Jan fell to the ground with the trimmer still in her neck. Frank then went into the garage and brought out the lawnmower. He started it and turned the lawnmower upside down. The police had arrived and kept telling him to stop what he was doing. Frank just looked at them, got on his knees, and checked out the sharpness of the lawnmower blade with his face. The lawnmower stopped running when the blade got stuck and Frank move. For the next three years, on that date of that get-together, three more couples' lives ended. Next was Angie and her partner, Blake. They were the ones who lived five houses down from M and R and were always fashionably late. The police suspected that Angie was waiting for Blake to come home when she attacked him. Blake liked to build things with wood, so he had a various collection of wood tools. When Blake walked in the door, Angie was there. He leaned in to get a kiss when Angie shot Blake between his legs with a nail gun. He stumbled out the front door, bleeding in the front of his pants, with Angie behind him shooting him with nails. He fell and tried to crawl away, but Angie climbed on top and just kept firing the nail gun into his head. After all the nails were fired, Angie, according to witnesses, got up, went into the house, came out with a cordless reciprocating saw and proceeded to cut her left foot off. After doing that, she moved up to her knee. Now that Angie's foot and knee were lying on the ground, she then moved up to her hip. Once the saw, however, hit the femoral artery, Angie wasn't able to finish because she bled out. Kathy and her husband, Jonah, were next. She clocked him with a baseball bat, then dragged him into the basement, his head hitting every step on the way down, then into the laundry room. 
She connected the garden hose to the work sink faucet, stuffed the nozzle end into his mouth and turned the water on, filling his lungs. As the water started pouring out of his mouth, Kathy plugged in an extension cord with a knife in her hand, laid down beside him, and put the knife into the end of the cord and electrocuted herself. They were followed by Sam and Brandy across the street, four houses down. Their demise included a bow, two arrows, a muzzle loader, one fifty caliber round ball, and a bear trap. The police were puzzled and alarmed to the point they asked the city to test the drinking water for any potential organisms, drugs, and contaminants. Nothing was found. However, things took a change after Sam and Brandy. The police arrived at Jamie and Drew's house, which was opposite side, three houses down. The police went in the house and two gunshots could be heard. After a few minutes, Jamie and Drew appeared, visibly shaking and talking to the police. Meredith pulled back the curtain and looked through the window. Drew happened to see her looking at them and gave her a very hard stare. Meredith let the curtain go. A week went by and another couple didn't die. Meredith was a little worried about what might have happened. There were still several people to go, so she could figure out something along the way. Another week passed, and then on Saturday, there was a knock at the door. Roger was in the garage, so Meredith answered. Jamie and Drew were standing there. Meredith invited them in. They asked if Roger was home, and Meredith said he was in the garage. Then they asked about the kids. She replied they were in the backyard playing. She looked at them and asked what they wanted. Drew, who was usually the quiet one, came close to Meredith's face and, with very heavy accusations, said, We know it was you. <laughs> Meredith backed up and asked, What are you talking about? Drew continued by saying they know that she did something to cause everyone to kill or be killed. Meredith asked them to leave and get the fuck out of their house. Both said no. Meredith called out to Roger that Jamie and Drew were here and they didn't want to leave. Roger came in from the garage and joined Meredith. He asked what was going on. Meredith stated that Jamie and Drew are accusing her of having something to do with the recent deaths in the neighborhood. Roger turned his head towards Meredith, looked her in the eyes and said, I know.